It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now... Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk and joining me as I have uh, two special guests lined up here today for our show. I know it's Tuesday, so we are uh, live here in studio today. Uh, I want to thank everyone who's, uh, who's kind of tuning in and being a part of the, the show. I know we've had a few weeks off with uh, the holiday and everything had a few uh, best of shows going but uh, we're back uh, going out of here for the rest of the year up until uh, the end of the, the holidays coming the end of the month so end of uh, December um, you know in case this is the first time you happen to be a part of the show kind of give you a little rundown of how it works um, you know I have the privilege of meeting a lot a lot of really cool people in different events or on LinkedIn or whatever it may be and um really kind of bring these people into the show to have a conversation and talk about a lot of the things that are on their minds and to find out what cool and talented things they're doing and how they're managing their people as well. Uh, hopefully we can learn something from them, uh, from their experiences and the things that they're passionate about. Um, and we're going to do that definitely today. So um, Talent Talk is live, as I mentioned, every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And it can also be accessed. Most of you come in after the fact and get us on the podcast on iTunes. Um, or on any device, you can listen to us on iHeartRadio. Um, over the last several years, we've uh, been growing and growing, and now we've got over 10,000 people a day downloading at least one of our podcast feeds um, from one of the different platforms, and we're just really proud and thankful to everyone who's coming in. So uh, if you have a question for one of my guests today, I'd love to have you participate in the show. Um, you can do that on Twitter. Uh, you can send your uh, tweets to at peopleg 2 Use that hashtag talent talk, all one word. My producer, Mike, tries to feed me in any good questions uh, that maybe we already have on our list. Um, we also love feedback. We can continue the conversation after the show has been taped live. I'm sure our guests are happy to, to answer questions then as well. And we love guest suggestions. If you have anybody good we think we should have on the show, send to us on uh, Twitter. All right, so I have two guests, as I mentioned. Uh, my first guest will be uh, Sean Herman. He's a Chief Human Resources Officer at Service King Collision Repair Centers. Following him, I'll have here live in the studio, uh, Tim Silvera, the president and founder of Optimum Comp Group um, Advantage, Inc. But uh, let me go ahead and get with my uh, first guest. Uh, uh, Sean, welcome to the show. Chris, thanks for having me. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself uh, and your company and what you're doing over there at uh, Service King Collision Repair Centers. Yeah, you bet. So as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Human Resources Officer for Service King. I've been here uh, about 18 months now. I've spent my entire 25-year career in, in human resources and, and studied in the same uh, with a focus on talent acquisition, talent management, and total rewards. Uh, I've been Chief HR now, uh, officer for eight years in, in several different industries, and I think it gives me a pretty unique perspective on talent and talent management. 
as it relates to Service King. We were founded in 1976, so a little over 40 years old, by uh, Eddie Lennox. He started with one shop in South Dallas uh, with a vision for consistency, quality, and service. About five years ago, he sold the company to the Carlisle Group, uh, who, after massive growth, then also brought in Blackstone. Both firms remain involved with the company today. We have over 330 stores in 24 states and pushing 7,000 teammates. Uh, it's really all in the name. We focus on on servicing our customers and in helping them put their cars back together uh, after a, an, an automobile accident or uh, uh, whatever they need in, in terms of dings and repairs. So we're, we're there to help them through that challenging time. Oh, 330 different um, places. I, I didn't realize you guys had that many in, in such a vast area. That's uh, incredible. So um, you've been with the organization for about a year and a half, you mentioned. Uh, maybe when you consider what you, you've done to help uh, develop the talent, the structure in, the, in, that, in that time, what would you say has been some of the, the areas where you've had your best success? Yeah, you bet. So, so Service King is, uh, with that 330, it's been through just exponential growth, especially after, uh, during the, the past several years. So, so first and foremost, we, we needed to create a structure and vision for the HR function. Uh, an identity that was focused on a support function aimed at really enhancing business performance, not policing the workforce, uh, which was a, a change from, from where they had been in the past. Uh, we also needed to align the siloed groups who were supporting our operations teams independently, whether that was talent acquisition or talent development, talent management. It was all being done uh, independently and needed to be brought together in a cohesive function. But, but most importantly, what we've been able to do over these past 18 months is, is really align our work uh, and our daily activities to the priorities and the, the needs and, and wants of the business. So uh, that's taken some doing, but I feel really uh, proud of the team and, and our, our focus on, on giving them what they need in a distributed environment like ours. That can be a real challenge. Well, you, you really kind of gave me a nice segue into my next question because you kind of started to talk about a little bit uh, about what the company's doing there. And so uh, I know one of the things that Service King is noted for is its strong culture. I mean, what is it about the culture that makes it successful? Uh, I mean, you kind of walked us through some of the things you're focused on, the, the what's important to the company, and also in trying to make sure you guys have a cohesive effort on the HR side. But maybe beyond that, what do you think the culture is really doing uh, to be successful? Yeah, you, there, there's no question that our company is driven by, by culture. We refer to it as the, as the Service King way, and it's, it's really at the core uh, of our culture is uh, our heritage of a family business. Eddie Lennox, uh, for the 35-plus years he was in this business, instill, instilled the value of family. And, and while many companies will use values uh, such as teamwork, collaboration for, for me and, and for us, uh, this value of family just makes it something bigger and really helps drive a lot of our, our decisions. Linked to that in our culture of, of family is opportunity. If you walk the halls of our National Service Center here in Dallas or you go into any store, you'll meet people whose lives have been changed thanks to, to Service King and, and opportunities for them to progress and move up in the organization. Our CEO, our president, all of our regional vice presidents have grown up in this organization from, from the store level. So, you know, I've been hearing a lot in the last few years about this sort of a gap in 
particular um, or particular types of companies, especially maybe ones like yours where you need people to do very skilled um, uh, work in a very specific manner. So do you guys find it's difficult to retain or to even find the talent that you need, especially as you guys have grown in such a rapid way? You're right. It's, it's extremely difficult. With all the uh, very similar to all of the other trades, the lack of talent entering the field is shrinking, while you have an entire generation that is is aging out. So this, the the generational gap, I think, for organizations that that are are dealing with the trades are are feeling the pains that many others may may see in the in the future years. You know, working on cars isn't necessarily as sexy as it was once was. Um, and there's an investment that, that people are required to make, both in education and in their own tools, to be able to, to enter the field. Once they do, it's extremely lucrative for them because it is, it is very competitive, uh, and we're all going after that same talent. So uh, our focus, and, and hopefully along with others in the industry, is not only how do we recruit people into Service King, but what can we do to get people interested in, in the in the field of, of collision repair and make sure they understand what opportunities exist for them, both both financially and professionally. Right, absolutely. And, and, are, and are there uh, maybe particular uh, programs or are there things that you guys are trying to do to, to close in some of that gap uh, or maybe go after particular types of people uh, to maybe start developing them almost like a, I'm almost thinking like a minor leagues for, for what you guys end up need, needing, um, with, whether it's in the schools or, or uh, different uh, groups of people. Do you guys have, you know, a, kind of a cohesive effort there? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so in in terms of Service King and and what we're doing at the entry levels, uh, we have developed over the past two years a, a very robust apprenticeship program. Uh, so we we will hire students out of technical schools. Uh, they'll they'll join us uh, as a paid position uh, and work under a mentor alongside three other apprentices for a year. And they'll go through a very specific curriculum that allows them to build the skills uh, and capabilities that are needed to really stand on their own after that year. With that, they also receive as part of the program their what, a, a starter toolbox that, that uh, has a significant investment in, in tools for them to be able to do the, the basic repairs and start to add to that over time. In terms of the industry, Working with companies, uh, I'm sorry, with organizations like the Collision Repair Education Foundation to get some momentum down into the technical schools and into the high schools to make sure that folks understand the viability of this trade as a, a professional option and, again, as a, as a financially lucrative one for many. And I imagine that could, that new program is also incredibly helpful for your continuing to uh, expand and also maintain your, your culture that you talked about uh, that you guys are known for. I mean, bringing in three apprentices, they have that opportunity to learn and to understand how the culture works, what's important about it, and at the same time give the company the opportunity to maybe observe if somebody is not a right fit or is not going to uphold those you know, those values from a, from a, a cultural standpoint and not have to put them into a position and feel maybe forced because you're shorthanded or um, because you're you're missing, you could be missing out on business if you don't you know keep someone around to, to get jobs done. So have you have you found that to be uh, uh, helpful in that regard? 
You're absolutely right. It is there. There is there is such a, a value in this program as it relates to a culture builder, both on the front end as as these folks are able to to learn under a mentor, but importantly, those those mentors or what we refer to as apprentice supervisors are folks that may have otherwise aged out of. Uh, the industry, you know, they're they're um, they're not they're not as agile as they once were. Being able to crawl around the cars and and fix those cars, and now they're able to pay it back uh, to these these apprentices while remaining uh, gainfully employed with Service King. They've been with us uh, for a long time and able to share with with these men. Uh, mentees what it means to be part of this company. So when uh, attending these graduations uh, of, of these these individuals after they get through the, the year of training is a really special time. We bring in their immediate family and we bring in the Service King family and the bonds that are created between the apprentice supervisor and the folks that he or she has been training over the uh, the prior year is, is an amazing thing to watch and, and, and truly is the epitome of, of our culture. Well, it sounds like a great program, and it's certainly yielding a lot of benefits for you and your company. Uh, you know, in the beginning, we kind of started talking a little bit about your HR background, and that's certainly a diverse one, and uh, the different places you've worked and uh, experiences you've had um, in kind of different industries. Maybe you could talk about which one of those you you kind of found that was the most challenging uh, for you, uh, where whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but where have you really found, uh, you know, in your past? Uh, from an HR perspective, that the most challenges to set. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a that's a tough question. I, w- I would say that uh, you know they, they've all been challenging in their own right. What's What's amazing to me is you go into any industry, and I've I've been in the consulting industry, semiconductor, broadcasting, and and now collision repair. Um, the depth of any industry and the nuances of of each of them are are so different, and you you look at them from the outside and. And they look relatively simple, but but you get into the the depths of, of what it takes to to really compete in in any of these spaces, and it's it's a real real challenge. That said, um, the workforce challenges that we face within the collision repair industry, due to that shrinking labor pool and the distributed nature of the workforce, the fact that I have employees you know scattered at 330 locations around the country, and the direct impact that labor has on a services company's revenues. Um, are, are some of the largest challenges that I've seen. It, it's, it's, it's why I got into uh, the, the role here and why I was so excited about uh, Service King in, in that HR can have such a major influence in a services organization. I wanted to get back to that. I had, I had been part of that in the consulting industry and wanted to be able to help a company continue to grow and, and see the direct impact of the workforce initiatives on both the top and bottom line. Now, one thing uh, I was finding an interesting question to ask someone like yourself who's had experience um, with uh, companies that have a global workforce and uh, different companies that maybe have a domestic workforce is maybe we could talk about what are some of the differences you have found when it comes to recruitment and leadership and culture. Uh, you know, a lot of our listeners may be looking at changing jobs from a di- company that only focuses domestically to one that's global. Uh, maybe they're going to be managing, you know, people in, in different uh, realms. So what do you see as some of those differences um, in those areas? Yeah, so so uh, I, I, I love the global complexities that, that go along with uh, any any business uh, that, that is scattered around around the, the world. Uh, have had a lot of opportunity to, to travel and, and learn about 
uh, the different cultures and, and expectations and work styles uh, in, in several of the companies that I've been a part of. And Service King is actually the first domestic company uh, only that I've, that I've worked for. Um, but, but interestingly enough, in the broadest sense, I think they're all the same. Organizations need to create an identity that works for all of their employees, uh, and they need to continue to live by it. Uh, as soon as there's a disconnect, there will be problems. Certainly in a global setting, those com complexities build, uh, and you, you do have those challenges of, of integrating the, uh, the national cultures that exist uh, as well as the regulatory in environments. But when you're looking at the, the basic core components to an HR strategy, uh, what I found is, is that they're, they're very similar. And as long as you continue to focus on what the needs and wants of your employees are and, and you're looking to connect your HR strategy with your business strategy, it's, it's, it's going to work out whether it's a global or domestic uh, company. Right, right. Well, you so kind of having all these different experiences and uh, different industries that you've been involved in, um, how would you define your, your kind of current leadership style and, and has that changed over time? Well, um, it may be more important for you to ask those that have, have, have worked with me. I think it, uh, hopefully it has matured over time. Um, I hope they tell you that, that I'm a, a servant leader, that, that uh, I, I view my role as, as needing to set the mission and then help them execute against it. Uh, I try to provide the direction needed through a continuous focus on priorities and maturation of the function. Uh, but really count on my team uh, to deliver and, and, and really remove obstacles uh, along the way for them and, and hopefully be the biggest cheerleader I can be. Right, right. Well, that's a, sounds like a good place to be. Um, you know, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests, uh, and hopefully you have a, a good answer for us, is, you know, is there a book you're reading right now or that maybe you recently read that you're suggesting people might want to check out? I, I tend to read very practical uh, HR-related books. My family give, uh, continuously gives me a hard time about it. But um, <laughs> I, I'm reading The Seven Habits uh, – I'm sorry, the, the Seven Hidden Reasons Employees Leave uh, by Lee Branham. And uh, it's, it's been a, a very insightful book for me, uh, a lot of practical insights through research into what they found as to, to why uh, folks leave organizations. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of – uh, anecdotes out there and, and, and understanding that, that we all as HR our professionals have, but, but getting into some of the granular details uh, that I can pass along to managers uh, has, has been really helpful, and it's, it's based on a, a significant amount of survey data that, uh, that, that Lee and, and team have, have done over time. Uh, and being able to use that sort of external data and tie it into some of the uh, engagement work that we've done here and some of the exit studies that we've done here, it, it's, it's provided a, a level of credibility that, that has served me well as I go out and I meet with the general managers in the various various locations. And, and can you say the name of the book again? It sounds really fascinating. I'm sure it's one that people would want to check out. Yeah, it's The Seven Hidden Reasons Employees Leave. Well, it sounds like a great one to, for people to check out. Uh, don't forget, we do a recap of our uh, that these conversations we have, and we'll certainly put it on our website as well on peopleg2.com. Um, but uh, great. sounds like a great uh, one to check out. Uh, you know, the other question I always like to ask people uh, when we have a few few minutes is, um, you know, is there a person uh, in your life, whether it was professionally or in your family or whatever it may be, that you think you kind of 
learned the most from from a leadership standpoint that maybe really got you to where you are today? You know, it's uh, it's it's a question folks have asked, and 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 I recently had an opportunity to give a presentation to an HR um, group here in in the Dallas area, and and what I did for the presentation is is I actually listed out um, about eight or ten of my uh, managers and mentors over time and broke down what I learned from each of them uh, because if I if I look at um, one manager I, I, I learned financial acumen from that individual just a, a profound capability in that area I learned compassion from uh, another leader that I had a chance to work under so I can't point to one it's it's an accumulation of experiences that I've gained over time from each of the managers, you know, whether it worked out long-term with that person or not, being able to point to uh, to something that I took away from that relationship and, and build upon that to create my own style, it's been it's been pretty uh, pretty powerful for me to look back and 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 uh, reflect on on that. And I've I've passed that on to, to folks that I've been mentoring as well. Don't don't take for granted any any manager or mentor that you have an opportunity to run into because you'll be able to take something away from them. Well, you've, you've mentioned a lot of great things today, and I've enjoyed our conversation. Um, if, if someone, you know, only remembered one thing, if they only wrote down one of the things that we talked about today, what is it you hope that they might remember or they might take back with them back, you know, to their work and, and to their, their people? I think it goes back to what I said in, in terms of you, you asked the question and, and why I mentioned I joined Service King. Uh, for me, culture is king organization uh, can't be all things to all people and as HR practitioners we need to be able to help leaders determine who they are and then connect uh, our employee base to that culture and, and be willing to be honest about what that is uh, and, and I think we're in a unique position in our function not necessarily to set the culture and not demand that people follow follow it but be the catalyst to try to bring it together. Well, how can people get uh, a hold of you or maybe uh, research opportunities with Service King? What's the best way for them to find out more about you and your company if they're interested? I'm always available to connect on LinkedIn. Happy to do so. You need to know how to spell my last name to find me. It's H-U-U-R-M-A-N, two U's. Uh, and if you're interested in Service King and opportunities at Service King, go to serviceking.com backslash careers, and, uh, and, and we'd be happy to connect. Well, Sean, thank you so much for being a part of the show today and giving our listeners uh, some great things to think about uh, and certainly sharing your own uh, career and experiences. So uh, hopefully we have you come back uh, to the show at some point and give us an update on what you're doing. But uh, thanks for being a part of the show. Love that. Thank you so much, Chris. All right. We'll be right back uh, after this quick commercial break with my second guest, uh, Tim Silvera. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything, your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. 
with 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers. For over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to Talent Talk Radio Show. If you're just joining us, uh, you missed a great interview with uh, Sean Herman, the CHRO of Service King Collision Repair Centers. But uh, you can listen to the entirety of his uh, interview and uh, catch the, this one again if you need to on iTunes on the podcast app, or you can listen to us on iHeartRadio uh, once we've published that here in a few weeks. Uh, just look for Talent Talk, all one word, on either one of those platforms. You can also go to talenttalkradio.com and find us there. All our shows are there, and uh, happy to have you take a listen. My next guest here live in studio with me is uh, Tim Silvera, the president and founder of Optimum Comp Advantage, Inc. Uh, Tim and I were both speakers at the Executive Next Practices Institute event at New Sierra a couple months ago, and I knew we had to have him in on the show. So uh, he's finally here. We could have a good conversation. Um, as a reminder, don't forget to tweet your questions if you have one, at PeopleG2, and use that hashtag talent talk. But uh, Tim, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us in today. Yeah. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself uh, and your and your company, uh, Optimum Comp Advantage? Well, you know, I have over 25 years HR experience, mostly specializing in total reward practices. I worked in-house uh, for most of that 25 years as a VP of HR or a VP of total rewards. About four years ago, I started a compensation consulting firm. After six months, I sold it to a much larger company. Two and a half years later, I bought it back. Uh, so in May, we started uh, Optimum Comp Advantage. And basically, we specialize in innovative compensation and performance practices that engage today's workforce. We, were, we have worked with over, um, oh, about 70 companies since we founded the organization, since I started consulting about four years ago, and basically 30 to 40 different industries. So I know that total rewards and you know, workplace optimization often are things that some companies don't consider or they don't uh, maybe even act upon. But you've been you've had a long career working uh, in this part of the HR space. So maybe what have you found to be the most important aspect of uh, rewards as it pertains to creating a successful company culture? You know, when we talk to companies now, it's really about helping them build a results-driven culture. And the two things that are most important uh, or actually have an effective reward practices that are integrated with performance practices. And those practices need to be integrated and customized for each business group, not just, you know, one size fits all. The second thing is companies that spend the time to understand and develop the metrics for each group independently uh, for their company and integrate those metrics with special reward practices actually are always successful. So we find those two things to be the most two important things. Well, I imagine that people uh, naturally know how to do that for sales or they think about doing that for sales teams, right? But then how do you do that for customer service and how do you do that for accounting and all these other departments? So do you find that that's a challenge for them? You know, when I first started the consulting firm, we were talking to one client and he was looking at some of the work that I had done. And he looked at me and goes, Tim, what you're doing is designing programs like you do for sales forces, specifically for their organization. 
And I said, you're exactly right. We actually go in, and it's not really, for most groups, it's really not that hard. Go into customer uh, service organizations. In fact, I worked for a, a customer service organization that had 60,000 call center agents, and we designed uh, uh, the performance management and reward practices specifically to each client. It was an outsourcing company. For each client, we designed the uh, reward practices and performance practices for each group inside that company. So it's really just getting in and understanding the metrics that drive the performance of each group and then reinforcing that with rewards. It, it sounds simple, but there's a lot of work that goes into it. Sure. Well, I know a few weeks ago when I saw you speak, I kind of learned a little bit more about the uh, optimum reward strategy. Maybe what's different about your approach to compensation and performance practices? Well, when you look at it, um, when we talk about our optimum reward strategy, it was specifically designed to motivate today's workforce. It actually starts with a career track job structure. Employees want to understand what is my career opportunity and career progression within the company, um, and also related to promotional opportunities. The second piece of the strategy is really creating custom incentive plans that reward employees for not only company performance, but how does their individual results impact their payouts, those types of things. And the last piece is building performance optimization tools that reward employees for their individual success in value to your company. Well, maybe go a little bit deeper about what performance optimization is. Well, you know, performance optimization, I, I started using the term performance optimization almost 10 years ago now. And it was because performance management has so many bad traditional connotations and overused. Yeah. And Something like micromanaging a little bit. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff, right? <laughs> so we start, we, I came up with this term. I go, well, let's talk about what do we really do when we design performance practices? We're hoping the organization optimizes its performance. That's how I coined the phrase performance optimization. And so it basically replaces traditional performance management. But what really is going on and why it's really important today is today's workforce, millennials specifically, don't want to be managed. In fact, no workforce ever really wanted to be ma managed. They wanted to be engaged. They want collaboration. They want to work with everyone. Mm -hmm. So the performance optimization tools we actually create focus on how do you build employee-manager collaboration and create a real-time, this is what's really important, how do you create a real-time performance interaction between the managers and employees? I remember years ago they started doing... Um, Let's do performance reviews every quarter. And all that did was clog up the, uh, the HR work and slow everything down. What really has to happen is that managers need to be engaged in the work with the employee on a daily basis, coaching and sponsoring what that employee is trying to accomplish. So the last thing about performance optimization, it really is about real-time process that focuses on the goals and metrics that you're trying to accomplish in real time, and also the behaviors that really drive your business results and performance as an organization. So what are some of those tools that you're using then for, uh, you know, that type of optimization? So, you know, a lot of times your performance reviews, the old traditional one is, is designed to treat everybody the same. And so what we really get in place is designing real-time performance processes that measure the results and impact on business. So as you know, sales it was pretty easy, you know, sales and other metrics that supported that sales process, revenue, net income, all those types of metrics, pretty easy on the sales side. But when you look at customer, uh, you know, customer service, client services, client relations, R&D, you have to really dig in. And what are the key metrics that really uh, state that they're performing at a high level and impacting business results? So you do that 
um, and then you develop that piece. The other thing with performance optimization is actually that the incentive plan. How do you really get the uh, measurements down where people know the alignment between what they're doing and the results of the organization? And it's usually metric-driven. So most companies, for about 50 to 60, 70% of the organization, you can find true metrics that reinforce the success of the business. Even when you look at HR, you look at HR, you know, a hiring time, length of service after being hired, Mm -hmm. performance of those employees. It's not just, you know, hiring ratios and, you know, filling seats, but it's really what is the results of the employees that they've been hiring. So you can find the metrics, but you have to really find the metrics that lead to performance. I was at an organization one time, and and the head of HR that I worked for, he he only wanted to be accountable for doing the the customer's uh, employee satisfaction survey. And I told him, well, the real metric is how we improve employee satisfaction in the company, not just doing the survey. And so it's really getting to the metrics and improvement at the metrics that you believe impact the long, longer, short and long-term success of a company. So, you know, if a company is looking at this and saying, well, okay, maybe I want to think about doing some of these things, why do companies then, you know, why should they really be thinking about making this change to really, uh, you know, whether it's implement what you're talking about or something around compensation and performance, what, what's the why? They sh- you know, I, it's kind of interesting because people ask me this all the time, and it's really they have to have an impetus. If you're a company that's making money hand over fist and, you know, you're not having trouble retaining people and you, the, everybody's performing really well and the company's uh, growing at leaps and bounds, there's not a lot of reason to change things. So companies have to uh, really have an impetus. So I, I work for a number of em- uh, employers. In fact, we've worked for them for three years now that have 60 70% millennials, and they have 60%, you know, 30 40 50% turnover, people leaving after eight months. So that's an impetus to really go in and figure out what are the uh, uh, types of programs you need to have in place to retain people longer than 18 months. And when you look at the turnover, the cost of an employee replacing an employee could be up to 18 months of that employee's salary. So when you're looking at that, it's, it's a huge amount of money. We had a client that actually their impetus was high turnover millennials. And the CFO was involved in hiring us with the VP of HR. And one of the things was retru- reducing uh, turnover to increase productivity. And he actually created a model uh, that actually showed that over a two-year period, they saved $10 million dollars two years in a row based on reducing their turnover based on productivity and output of the company. And he associated with how the compensation and career track job structures were designed that help people stay in the organization. That's amazing. And, you know, sometimes we can show people direct costs or direct savings, and then there's the softer stuff, right? And, and, but if you can show savings in either in either factor of whether you get a 10 million somehow and that's that's pretty great right yeah it was kind of interesting <laughs> the cfo was involved and i've always said it's really real money and people mm-hmm. say oh it's just soft money and i've always right. said no it's real money and the cfo was really sharp because he created a model based on soft in hard numbers mm-hmm. that show this was a pure cost savings to the organization including what the the gains in the organization was based on not having such high turnover right right well, what are some of the key components then of having a, a good uh, rewards program and, and being able to engage your employees? Well, it starts with actually starting with a, a pay for success or pay for results uh, compensation philosophy. A lot of companies have been saying for years, pay for performance. Well, 
as we know, a lot of CEOs lose their job and get paid for performance, like a lot of money for bad performance. So it's really creating a language around what you're doing with your compensation practices. So I would say create a philosophy that's meaningful and then strategies of what you're trying to accomplish. And then I would tell you the foundation of any compensation program of any H successful HR organization is building a career track job structure. So you know, so the employees see a clear progression of moving from one job to the next or seeing another career track within the organization so I could cross-functional move into another organization and get cross-functional experience. And that really helps you retain your people because if you don't have a career progression for people, they'll go find it somewhere else. And you can't just say, work real hard and I'll get you promoted. It, you really have to show people what they're working toward. The other piece is real-time real compensation and performance practices that reward employees for their value and success. And what I'm talking about, stop doing the annual merit increase program because not everybody should be rewarded exactly at the same time every year, especially with the millennial generation. They're gonna have, people are going to uh, excel really fast. You need to reward them. You need to promote them. Uh, you might have incentive plans that are uh, quarterly for some employees, semi-annually for others, annual for other employees. So you really got to make it more dynamic uh, for your workforce. And then you have to actually have back to the custom incentive plans that really articulate how each employee's performance impacts the success of the business and how do you actually drive the overall performance of the company. And there's a whole lot there, and I, I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, how, how did you even get into all of this? Like, what was kind of the, the, the starting point for you to kind of maybe really start to tackle some of these issues? But it was really, well, it was, it was two things. This was 30 years ago. I read a book called Using Compensation and Performance Practices as a Competitive Weapon. And, boy, that was just a shock in the HR world 30 years ago. Right. The book wasn't successful, but I read it, and I go, wow, this is earth-shattering. This is really cool stuff. About 10 years after that, I read a book called Innovative Reward Practices for a Rapidly Changing Workforce. That was in the 90s. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, rapidly changing, that's really happening over the last three or four or five years, right? So it's just reoccurring. So those two books really are the foundation of innovation and how do you really build compensation and performance practices and integrate them? Because they all both talk about how you integrate them to drive business results. That's how I, I just got passionate about it from those two books. And, and uh, would, the, would those be the books you might suggest uh, people read, or is there another book you've read recently you might suggest? You can't even find those books anymore. Okay, well, I, I, I don't know. know. Google, Google Books might have it. They, might, they, have, they got everything. But You, you can find the second, ver the second edition of the second one, okay. which isn't as good as the first uh, okay. edition. But uh, the book I'm reading today is actually um, it's Managing the Millennials. Okay. I forget the author, but it's, you can find it. It's a recent book. And what it really is, it's a really cool book because it really is a guide to understanding the competencies for managing today's workforce. And what I really liked about the book is it starts by stating that the generational gap is only in our head. Mm -hmm. Okay? And that every generation, every employee wants fulfillment, recognition, appreciation, and compensation for doing a great job. So when you have that frame, there's a lot of things different about the millennial generation. One of them is that it's a large generation, so 92 right. million strong, and so their preferences matter. So you really need to understand how to manage them, how to compensate them, how to reward them, and they don't want traditional comp practices. They, you can't hire them low. In fact, you know, as we know, in California, we can't, after the first year, can't ask them what they previously made. So mm -hmm. we have to pay them competitively, and that's a big component of it. But they don't want the 2 to 3% merit 
increase every year. They want to be paid for their value. And if, they're, if they believe that you're not paying them for their value, they'll go find it somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. And there's definitely some uh, intricacies there with the millennial group. I, I agree with you that the overall the differences are not really what we think they are. They, you know, they're just the differences in a different generation. But there certainly are some other interesting factors with the change in technology and their um, kind of really uh, being able to access that in a different way. I love some of the funny stories, though, too, like, you know, um, they pick up a traditional phone and wonder what that tone is coming out of the other end, right? Right. Um, what am I supposed to do with that? Um, yeah, I mean, my, I've had my, my kid, you know, pick up the phone the other day. Well, why does it have this noise? Do I have to, you know, try, you know, we have to dial one first? You know? <laughs> so I actually, yeah. the myth, one of the myths is, is about, uh, well, the Saturday Night Live skit about the, the young woman coming in and, and she's on the job two days and she asks, when do I get promoted? Right. Well, that actually happened to me like 20 times. I had 20 different people I hired. How do I get promoted? But, again, if you have a career track job structure, mm-hmm. like I've always had this for many years, you show this is – here's step one, two, and three, and this is how you get there. And they love that. I've often challenged HR groups to, to start saying yes to every question. And, um, and, and that first question I get from them is, but what if they ask for a raise? And I go, well, you should say yes. And then you should tell them yes – but here is how you get there. Or, yes, and here's how you here's how you earn it. Here's the path. And I said, wouldn't that be great if everyone knew what the path was to get promoted or to get the raise or to get what they want? That it wasn't some deep, dark secret that only some guy in some ivory tower knew. And you eliminate all that frustration, right? Right. And that's what most of my compensation practices are built on. Make sure that everybody knows how their incentive plan works. Make sure everybody knows how they impact the success. Make sure everybody knows how they can get a promotion, how they can get a pay raise. And it's based on competitive practices, not some artificially created merit increase structure. Right, right. Or just because you happen to be friends with that manager, (laughs) right, or friendlier with HR or whatever that may be. Right. Um, Do you have ever have the issue or have to kind of combat uh, people who are trying to game your system at all that are trying to maybe reach those certain categories without really doing the work that you intended for well, those? You always have that, right, Chris? I mean, you look at so, but if you put all the rules out on the table and then you teach managers how to use them effectively, mm-hmm. then it's easier. You have less gaming because everything's out on the table. Right. Uh, when you, you game systems, is when you don't know all the rules and you're playing around the fringe and pushing this way and that way. Or how do I get my employee an equity adjustment? There's no rules around an equity adjustment. So it's who has the most, uh, uh, who's favorite, you know, back to your thing, who, who's friendliest with HR gets more equity adjustments than the departments that aren't, right? Right. So, so if you have all the rules out there, then you teach them how to play with the rules, then people play within the rules, so you don't have so it's it's, it's actually making a tra- what's the word transparency. Mm-hmm. So if things are transparent, people use it effectively, and the outcome is driving business performance, not gaming and playing games inside the company. And do you find that you lose some people, um, and maybe that's a good thing? But are there other certain groups of people that don't want to live in that kind of <laughs> transparent world as an employee? You, you know, we've we've seen with the millennial generation uh, in our companies that again I mentioned we have three or four big companies that have 50, 60% millennials, they are just outperforming their competition because everything is transparent. They, uh, you know, if they lose employees, they still have turnover. But if they're losing employees that don't want transparency and drive business performance, they're better off. Right, right. 
And that's only going to get deeper, right, with with the continuing aging of uh, aging out of other generations. And as you mentioned, that means such a large generation. Um, do you think this will, and this is a obviously a, a Hail Mary uh, question, but do you think the next generation that's coming up will be just as um, open to this type of management style? Well, you know, it's very similar. And, I, uh, and I'm going to, I don't know a lot about the Z generation, but... I saw a, a, a speaker that was talking about the X generation, and he said, okay, so you go back to the boomer generation was really large, but they were a silent generation, so their preferences they just kept silent on. The X generation was kind of small, right, comparatively, so they didn't get anything the way they wanted it. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, the millennials are 92 million. Well, the Z generation is small again, and the speaker said they're going to be so small their preferences won't matter. Focus on the millennial generation for your lifetime, that'll be 92 million people, right. and that's going to be the focus of what you're going to have to deal with. Yeah, and that's a great way of putting it. And maybe maybe that'd be some things, but they're certainly not going to have the weight right. to, to bring to the table. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, you've mentioned a lot of great things here today. Um, maybe as a, a summary, could you kind of throw out a couple points of things you think people should have heard or written down or remembered if, if they were paying attention? Two things. One is traditional compensation and performances, performance practices just don't work. Um, company, and the other one is companies need to design a set of optimum reward practices that give them a competitive edge in the marketplace. And they need to be designed and customized for each company because everybody has a different culture. And so you actually are creating what gives you a competitive edge. It's not adopting something that gave GE a competitive edge 30 years ago. Well, that's that's definitely a good uh, good thing to think of, and you know, as our our markets change, our what we're selling changes, and what who we're hiring changes. I guess it's an important thing for us to think about uh, going forward. So, how can people get a hold of you and learn more about what your company does if they're interested in in doing something like this? Yeah, my email address is tim silvera, and that the last name is spelled S I L V as in Victor E R A, and this is a long email address. It's Optimum Comp Advantage. Com. We have a website, www.optimumcompadvantage.com. Well, I'm sure they can find you. Um, you're out, out there in the cyberspace. So email, I'm sure LinkedIn, website, whatever it may be. Definitely check him out. Uh, but, Tim, thanks so much for being a part of the show and coming in here to the studio and uh, kind of getting us. I know I, I saw you speak at the, at the EMP and really enjoyed what you had to say, so I'm glad you're able to kind of come in here and, and share with our listeners as well. It was great. It was very enjoyable. All right. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for tuning in here to the show. Hopefully you gained something that will help your own career in a positive way. Uh, Next week, my guest will be uh, Jamie Gonzalez. I don't know if that's Jamie or is that Jaime, but we'll find out. Uh, The head of leadership and organizational development at JPL. I guess I better find out if it's JPL. So um, actually, I think he was on our EMP thing. So this is like a a double EMP. And then uh, Kim Sullivan, the CHRO for University of Texas Systems. All right, until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.